0: All who come to this happy place, welcome. Disneyland is your land. Here age relives fond memories of the past. I'm a real boy! You want thing in the box? I got 20. 10,000 years will give you such a prick in the neck! We can fly! We can fly! We can fly! This is the Magic on a Dollar podcast with David Dollar. Did you hear that, folks? That... Is theme music. Thank you so much to my friend Tim Dumay, who owns MeshMedia.co. He created that for me real quick. He just uh, emailed me up out of the blue and said, Hey, man, I got you some theme music. I want you to listen to it. And it's awesome. I listened to it. I was blown away by your generosity of your time. So thank you so much, Timothy Dume. You can find him at MeshMedia.co. M E S H M E D I A dot co. Not dot com. He tells emotive storytelling. He's been doing video production professionally for 15 years or more, working at churches. He's also done some. Small business stuff looking for video promotionals, nonprofits wanting to tell their story, client testimonials, things like that. He does video. He does audio. So if you have need for help for things like that, meshmedia.co, contact Timothy and say, hey, Tim, David Dollar told me to contact you before or after you contact him. Look at your resume and think, if you think to yourself, you know what, my resume needs help. And let's face it, most people's resume does need help. Go to MyResumeLady.com. Find Amy Campbell and say, Hey, Amy, David Dollar told me to come find you. You can help me with my resume. You can help me with my marketing schemes. You can help me with my marketing plans online. You can also help me with my LinkedIn profile. And Amy will say... Absolutely. And you'll say, Amy, how long have you been doing this? And she'll say, we've been doing this for over nine years. We've helped hundreds and hundreds of clients with their resumes, with LinkedIn and all that good stuff. They will help you there. Uh, so go visit MyResumeLady.com and get that taken care of. And finally, got to plug this show produced by Clay Shaver, who is the host of the Remodeling Clay podcast. He's the guy who does uh, encouragement. He's an uh, he's encouraging guy. Starkey. A little smart, uh, a little fun, um, uh, a little smart-alecky, I guess I should say. He's a lot smart, a little smart-alecky, but it's great encouragement, real-world encouragement, helping you find the best version of you. Go get that podcast. It comes out every Thursday morning. I listened to this morning's episode already. It's fantastic. It's good stuff. Clay Shaver, the Remodeling Clay Podcast. And now, let's get to some news around the world in 80 seconds, starting right about now. The Food and Wine Festival at Epcot is coming to a close this week and uh, very soon. The last performance of the Food and Wine Festival Eat to the Beat concert series will be the band Squeeze from the 80s. They'll be singing their great song, Tempted by the Fruit of Another. And I'm sure they have more hits than that, but that's the one that I know. So that's the one that I quote. So if you're tempted by the fruit of the Squeeze to go see them, then go do it. Go check out the Food and Wine Festival this uh, before it shuts down. It's fantastic. Stitch's Great Escape will be opening up for the holiday season. That is a ride, of, a somewhat derided attraction in the Magic Kingdom and Tomorrowland. People like it. Some people don't. Most people don't, actually. But it will be opening up. It's been opening up seasonally here and there for during the, the busy times. Lately, it's been a Stitch meet-and-greet, but it will be opening up now fully uh, for the ride and everything. Probably meet-and-greet, too, until Christmas is over, and then probably go back to just doing a meet-and-greet. Hall of Presidents is still closed, and traditionally they do a six-month refurb to install the new animatronic of, of a new president, where they'll have the president say a few things here and there. It is still closed. Now, who knows what they're doing? Um, the rumors are that they're kind of redo, revamping the entire show, revamping the entire thing, and of course they have to install the new president, uh, President Donald Trump. Um, I don't know why they're still closed. My guess is they're still trying to figure out how to handle some of the some of the political uh, atmosphere in the area. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, it's rumored to be closed through the end of the year, through maybe opening up the first of next year. That is your news around the world in 80 seconds. Some more news here that we can, we weren't able to get to in the 80 seconds because it takes a little bit more of a more of a discussion. Pixar Pier is becoming uh, is going to open up fairly soon, sometime next spring. Now, this is an area called Paradise Pier right now in California Adventure over at Disneyland. Uh, Disney announced this uh, during the D23 and the OC Register reports that they are going to be doing for summer 2018. They'll be opening up new restaurants, rides, and attractions all based around Pixar. Basically, three main areas... And then a fourth area of the older stuff. So the areas are the Incredibles, Inside Out, and Toy Story, and then they'll have kind of a Pixar California Park Medley. The Incredibles, notably, is going to be the Incredit Coaster. And you know that big coaster there, and I've shown pictures of it online. Um, it's called California Scream and now it's a great coaster. It's so much fun. They're gonna rename that the Incredit Coaster, and they're gonna do some incredible things with it, quote unquote Incredibles things with it, with some, you know, some new effects and some new new characters and whatever, that'll all be there, to so the Coaster. Inside Out will be a neighborhood in that little pier, uh, pier, Pixar Pier area. Don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but it should be fun. It's cool to see Inside Out kind of get some love there in the parks, um, as well as the Toy Story area, which the Toy Story Mania ride is already there, so it'll be opening up a little, making it a little bit bigger, more of, an, more of a Toy Story area, kind of, I don't know if it'll be like an Andy's Room kind of thing or just a Toy Story neighborhood, not really, not really sure. Finally, they'll be doing a, a, a medley of Pixar tales on Mickey's Fun Wheel. And if you look at California Adventure Pictures, you'll see the big wheel that's there. It's like a Ferris wheel with these gondolas that kind of go around in a big circle. They will all have now different characters on them, so 24 new gondolas featuring different Pixar characters. But don't worry, Mickey's iconic face will still be on the uh, the side of the wheel, so you'll be able you will be able to see it. Now, over in the corner, they kind of have what I call the kid rides: Paradise Gardens, Sim- the Symphony Swings, the Jumpin' Jellyfish, Goofy Sky School, the Golden Zephyr, Little Mermaid. In that area, that is going to be named Paradise. Park. Now, on the side of uh, uh, Paradise Pier is Ariel's Grotto Restaurant and Cove Bar. and That's a, a very notable, very notable um, Princess meet and greet, Princess dining experience that will be rethemed and renamed into a new Waterside gr- Lounge and Grill. No word as to whether they will be doing any kind of Pixar. Um, any kind of Pixar uh, uh, meet and greets or Pixar you know, dining, which would be really cool, but we'll see about that. The, the changes will be teased with a temporary unveiling on April thirteenth, twenty eighteen, at the Pixar Fest celebration, which begins April thirteenth. The date of Pixar Pier's permanent opening, however, has yet to be announced. Now let's let's look at some Disney history this week. Got some great stuff here. Song of the South opened up in nineteen forty six. This week in Disney history, in nineteen forty six, of course, a live action animated musical produced by Walt Disney, based on the collection of Uncle Remus stories. Uh, starring James Baskett uh, as Uncle Remus, it takes place in the southern United States during Reconstruction, where you have a little seven-year-old boy named Johnny who is visiting his grandmother's plantation for a stay. Johnny befriends Uncle Remus, one of the workers on the plantation, and Uncle Remus tells the stories of Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear and so on. Now, Walt Disney had wanted to produce a film based on the Uncle Remus stories for quite a while, and it wasn't until almost 1940 that he started working with the Harris family, who, who owns that, for the film rights, and in 1944, they, they filmed Song of the South. The studio had a plantation set for outdoor scenes and some other scenes filmed in Hollywood. It's mostly live action, but they have some animated sequences as well. Premiered in Atlanta in 1946 in November uh, 1946, this week in Disney history. Um, was there, and it was a pretty good financial success. Uh, produced the song zippity doo da, Zippity-Day. It won a 1947 Academy Award for Best Song, and they gave James Beskett a honorable award for his performance as Uncle Rivas. However, Song of the South is a very controversial film. Critics have described the film's portrayal as Afri- of African-Americans as racist and pointing out the stereotypes that are in there. Uh, the plantation setting, of course, in this day and age is very idyllic and very glorified. Um, I, well, I'll take that back. Let me rephrase that. There, in the movie, it's pictured as idyllic and glorified, what the critics are saying. And, of course, we know plantations aren't. Um, so they have yet – Disney has yet to release the Song of the South in any home video format in the United States. Some of the musical animated sequences have been released here and there but uh, but you can find it you can find actually the whole movie uh, in other countries and sometimes you can find it on youtube i 've actually watched some of it on youtube confession it 's not that good um the Disney Park, uh, Disney theme park ride Splash Mountain, also based on that film as well. But that is Song of the South coming out this week in 1946. And here's a string of hits from the, the late 80s. And, and I love this period of, of Disney animation because this kind of kicks off the Disney Renaissance. And, uh, 1988, this week, um, Oliver and Company was released. It is the 27th animated feature, just inspired by the Charles Dickens classic Oliver Twist. Um, Oliver is a homeless kitten who joins a gang of dogs to survive in the street. Uh, notable voices include this, include, uh, Joey Lawrence, Billy Joel doing a lot of the songs as well. Cheech Marin, Bette Midler, Robert Loja um, is in this. It's, it's a fun film. It's kind of overlooked. A lot of people don't even know this exists or they don't know a lot about it, but it's, a, it's good. Opening up this week in 1988. In 1989, the Disney Renaissance really got going with The Little Mermaid opening up this year. I guess, what, 20, 28 years now? Hashtag mathing, 29 years, something like that. Uh, fantastic. Fantastic little film, nineteen eighty five. One of the animators, Ron Clements, was interested in The Little Mermaid. Um, he was working on The Great Mouse Detective, which came before Oliver and Company. And he read this story through, at a bookstore, and he believed he he thought it was perfect for an animated feature. And he thought that you know this was great, so he wrote a treatment out. And what they used to do in the Disney in, in Disney uh, executive offices with Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg and so on, they would have something called a Gong Show meeting. And what you would do is you would come to the meeting with an idea. Or a couple of ideas. You had to come with ideas. You could not just show up and listen. You had to come with something. No matter how stupid or how ludicrous it was, you had to come up with something. So you sit down in the meeting and you, you pitch the idea. And if they like it, they talk about it. If they don't, they, they bang a gong. And for The Little Mermaid, they bang the gong. Katzenberg passed it over because at the time the studio was working on uh, a sequel to Splash from 1984. And they felt like Little Mermaid was a little little too, too similar. Um, but soon after, Katzenberg actually... Called the Clements up and said, "Hey, you know what? Let's let's kind of work with this. Let's work on this, and let's work on this Oliver and Company movie as well. This is '85, like '86. Remember? Um, so they found it, they worked on it, and history is is what it is. The Little Mermaid came to be a couple of years later and became really the rock, the kind of the anchor, of the beginning of the true Disney Renaissance that happened from '89 to about '95. The animation. Um, let me just tell you too, the animation in Disney was, and I know I've talked about this before in, in previous episodes, and and we'll probably get really deeper into this later." But animation back then was a little was a little rough. In the early to mid '80s, there was a chance that animation was going to be shut down. They were they were tempted to just shut all of it down because nothing was happening. They weren't making any money. It was just it was the features coming out were not good. Um, little Mermaid really really kind of saved Disney from there and saved the animation from there. And like, uh, another another film that came out the following year, 1990. This week in 1990. Uh, The Rescuers Down Under, It's uh, set in the Australian Outback, this sequel to the 77 animated film The Rescuers features Bernard and Bianca going to Australia to save a boy named Cody from a villainous poacher in pursuit of an endangered bird of prey. Bob Newhart and Eva Gabor, which is her final film role, reprise their roles. John Candy's in this, as well as the late, great George C. Scott. This is the first animated theatrical film sequel produced by Disney, Um, and it's the first film to be created completely digitally, and not use a camera. didn't do that as well as the box office. I mean, Little Mermaid did, did gangbusters. This one did just okay. Uh, I've never, confession, I've never seen the rescuers or the rescuers done under. Don't shoot me. Don't, don't, don't yell at me. I'm sorry. That's just, I've just never gotten around to seeing it. Maybe I should. I kind of feel like my linchpin of movies that I haven't seen is, starts with bedknobs and broomsticks, and I really got to get to that one down first. So, uh, anyway, so this week in Disney history, also this is I love this. In uh, two o'clock uh, on uh, November fifteenth, nineteen sixty-five, Walt and Roy Disney, accompanied by Florida Governor Hayden Burns, spoke to the press uh, in Orlando and launched this new thing called the Disney World Project in Florida. Okay, they started preparing the site a couple of years later, and of course the park opened in 71. Um, the price of land, and we talked about this a few episodes ago when in the Walt Builds a Kingdom segment, where before then, beforehand, the acreage was going for anywhere from $10, $20, $30 an acre, maybe you know $180 an acre, whatever. I mean, it was, it was cheap, basically. Once they made this, within a day or two of announcing this is what we're officially doing, the, the price went up to an estimated, some acres cost as much as $80,000 per acre. I mean, it was legitimately that expensive because people were like, oh, Walt Disney's buying it. Let me jack this price up. Disney, Disney planners have acquired 27,443 acres to this day. Um, for that. So that was in 1965. I, I, I love Disney history. What can I say? 1956, the first of eight installments titled My Dad Walt Disney by Diane Miller, uh, featured in the Saturday Evening Post in 1956. And this is a fun story because they actually approached Walt, the Saturday Evening Post approached Walt with a proposal to have him write kind of his, bi- his biography, his memoir kind of in segments throughout the magazine. They offered him $150,000 at the time. Now, Walt was building Disneyland. He was heavily involved in Disneyland and and he was trying to get—I mean, Disneyland was open at this time—but he was trying to get the park, you know, up and running and going. And uh, he wanted to help his daughter Diana and, and her husband Ron Miller get a house, and he had no money to give them because everything was tied up in this park. So he proposed, "Hey, Saturday Evening Post, why don't you?" Let Diane be the author of this so she gets the money. And that's how it worked. For the next uh, eight eight installments of the magazine, they were able to get it. Also later on, Big Thunder Mountain in 1980 opened up at Walt Disney World. Um, So that ride is celebrating almost 30, almost 40 years now. Good Lord. Uh, That ride's pretty old. It's a a great, great ride. It's a wildest ride in the wilderness, as they like to say. Uh, And finally, of course, we can't go without mentioning the fact that on November the 18th, Mickey Mouse... His birthday, 1928, is when he premiered his 89th birthday, folks. Um, big deal. This is a big, big deal. Because uh, he had been in a few cartoons here and there before this, but in 1928 is when Steamboat Willie premiered. It's the first commercially successfully animated cartoon to use synchronized sound. Um, Steamboat Willie was directed by Walt Disney and Ub Iwerks, which is a good friend of his. There's no – I cannot understate the importance of, of a man named Ub Iwerks in animation because later on – the other Walt Disney story, and I'd love to tell the story sometime as we get through and go through some episodes, but uh, uh, later on in Disney history. You know, a lot of the animators left because of they went to Universal, there was a Rider Strike. Ub Iwerks pretty much stayed with him the whole time. There were some, some tough times here and there, but for the most part, stayed with him the whole time. And uh, it's, you cannot understate the importance of, of Ub Iwerks. He's the one that pretty much drew everything. I mean, Walt Disney did the voice of Mickey, he did the grunts and the laughter and the, the whistling and other, other vocal sounds. But uh, Ub Iwerks was a great animator. Uh, Minnie Mouse also appeared for the first time in Steamboat Willie as well. So that's a big deal. That's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, he actually Actually, Walt Disney actually stood in the back of the theater at the uh, – oh, what theater was it? it? was the Colony Theater I think the name it was over on Broadway and 53rd in New York. Uh, the Colony Theater – he was in the back of the Colony Theater listening very nervously to the crowd. And he was just so excited when the crowd was laughing and giggling and, and just clapping, and all the way through it. Seen what Willie showed every night for two weeks. Um, even though, like I said, it's not his first Mickey cartoon uh, made or released, it was the first one with sound, and it's really considered Mickey's true debut. Which brings us to this, which is one of my favorite things in, in the world, and I, it's on my bucket list. This is this is a Disney bucket list for me. On November 18th, there is a special hidden Mickey just for Mickey Mouse on his birthday. If you go to the Journey of the Little Mermaid attraction in New Fantasyland in the Magic Kingdom. You walk through the queue. There's an area of the queue. And as you go past, uh, I think over on the side, there's kind of a few statues of like an Indian statue and some thingamabobs and whatever, uh, like a a corner table statue of some sort. You'll see it. Um, Across from that, they've got the rock formation set up in such a way that on that day, if the sun cooperates, on that day, the sun shines through this rock formation and puts a a Mickey icon on the wall. Only seen it one time. uh, You can only see it one day per year around noon i don't even know how long it's out maybe an hour maybe 30 minutes or whatever but it's a big deal and i really want to go to disney world to see this i've heard it's just fantastic um and so you know it opened up several years ago and now it's become this this park icon thing where people go down there for mickey mouse's birthday to see this so i think it's pretty cool so moving on to other news here walt disney world and well not walt disney world but disney company as a whole working with fox to possibly purchase part of fox studios This is a massive deal. Now, let me go ahead and lay it up front. They've been talking over the last several weeks. Right now, talks are stalled. I don't know if they're dead or not, but this is going to be kind of fun to talk about because this is a big deal. So Disney will basically go in and buy 21st Century Fox. Not buy all of it. They, through regulations, they're not allowed to actually own Fox Network. So they can't own Fox. They don't want to own Fox Sports because they own ESPN already. They don't want, they don't want to deal with that. They're not going to buy Fox News or see, uh, our, our Fox Business or any of the Fox channels or whatever. They would, however, pick up um, this, I think, the National Ge- Geographic channel. I think there's uh, Sky TV, which is a European channel they'll pick up. And a few other channels, FX, they would pick up as well. And so they would pick up some of those things. Um, they're looking to 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 purchase this part of Fox. Now, what this means for Disney is that they would acquire not only the rights to these television networks, they would also get the rights to the following franchises. Take a listen. Avatar, and you're thinking, oh, don't they own, their own Avatar? They don't. They were working with James Cameron and Fox to do Avatar at Animal Kingdom, but then they, but with this deal, they would get the full rights to own Avatar. Okay? Aliens, Cocoon, Die Hard, Home Alone, Independence Day, The Night at the Museum franchise, Planet of the Apes, Predator, Romancing the Stone, okay? Now, some of those, Cocoon, Romancing the Stone, maybe even, you know, uh, Planet of the Apes or Predator... You're not going to see a whole lot of park presence. I don't know that you're going to see Predator walking through the parks um, at all. I don't know that we'll actually have a Disney movie that has a crossover with Kevin Arnold meeting up with John McClane to go go, uh, go with Ripley into space to fight the aliens. But then there's Wilfred Brimley and the cocoon. I don't think you're going to see any of that. Um, but it would be cool to be able to own those things, and they would be able to do any kind of sequels. Well, you know what? Maybe doing sequels for some of those and doing remakes of some of those is not a good idea. Let's just scan this whole deal, right? No, the big deal, and the big thing for this for me… And this is the first thing I thought of when I thought of this deal is because they would get the rights to x men and fantastic Four okay hold on here i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm gonna nerd out for just a second so just if you're not a nerd, if you're not a geek, you can fast forward through this part, but just hear me out here, okay. Um there have been three main divisions of Marvel Comics when it comes to movies. You've got the Avengers and all those all the properties to go with that. And that's that's um that's Marvel Disney. Disney bought Marvel uh 2009 2009 so they bought Marvel and so that's uh that's that. Okay? So that's the Avengers. That's uh Thor and Captain America and Iron Man, and so on. Sony owns Spider-Man. So Sony did Spider-Man 1, 2 and 3, Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man Part 2. And 20th 21st Century Fox owns X-Men. Daredevil, the rights to all mutants, and Fantastic Four, which is one of my favorite characters of all time, or one of my favorite groups of all time, Fantastic Four. I love the Fantastic Four, okay? We'll get to that in a second. Spider-Man 1 1 and 2 are great comic book movies. They're wonderful. Sony did a great job with both of those. Spider-Man 2, I think, is one of those, probably one of the greatest comic book movies ever. It's got a lot of heart to it. Tobey Maguire is a great Spider-Man. Kirsten Dunst is a great Mary Jane. Alpha Marlena is a great Dr. Octopus. So it really, really fits well. Spider-Man 3 didn't do so well. You got the whole emo Spider-Man coming in. It's just it's I don't I personally don't think it's that great of a movie. So it didn't do well. So they were done with the franchise. Tobey Maguire walked away. Said I'm done. Krista Dunst said I'm done. So they walked away from it. Years later, they did Amazing Spider-Man. did a did a fair job. I mean, you've got Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man and, and Emma Stone as as uh, Gwen Stacy. I like Emma Stone quite a bit. And so this did a pretty good job. Amazing Spider-Man 2 didn't didn't do so well. Okay. And even the, the first one didn't do as well as they were hoping. Um, th- now, th- there's some sort of deal there with these rights, and I don't know how this deal works. But basically, you have to do something with these characters every 10 to 12 years. Because if you don't, you either lose the right to them or the rights opens up to these characters or whatever. So, so again, Sony had to do Spider-Man. Ten years later, they were like, well, let's do Amazing Spider-Man and let's do something else. So it so, didn't work out. So they contacted Disney Marvel, and Disney Marvel contacted them, and they went back and forth. And they said, you know what? Let's see if Spider-Man can be in one of your Marvel movies. this is an important deal, okay? This is all going to kind of come together in a second, so just hear me out. Um, Marvel did Civil War, Captain America Civil War. The movie came out last year. Great film. Just a wonderful film. That is based on a comic book story from 10, 15 years ago called Civil War, and it's where basically what you saw, there's a registration act of the comic book characters, and, you know, comic book characters don't want to reveal their identity, but some think, well, well, maybe we should register with the government, and so on and so on. I don't want to get into the minutia of that. But in that comic book storyline... All of the Marvel characters were involved in this. Like all of them. Just everything was involved in this, including Spider-Man, including X-Men, including Avengers. You had two sides. You know, the, the we want to do it this way side, that we want to do it that way side. And it involved all of them. So in order to do this movie, they had to do it in a way where they didn't involve any of the X-Men. But they really wanted Spider-Man because Spider-Man plays a key role in this particular comic book comic book series, comic book, uh, comic book thing. Um, so them and Sony worked it out, and Sony said, okay, you can have some Spider-Man. Take Spider-Man from us. Do something with it. We'll co-produce. We'll get the money for it. Sony got paid. Sony got paid a lot of money for this. Disney did a wonderful thing with Spider-Man. Spider-Man Homecoming was a fantastic movie. All right? 21st Century Fox have done great things with X-Men overall. The X-Men's trilogy, the first and second one were great. The third one was just okay. Um, I, th- I personally thought the Wolverine movies were pretty good. They've been kind of derided as not being as good. I like them okay. I love the Logan movie that came out. Deadpool, hard R, but it was good. It was funny. Um, you know, the new X-Men movies that have come out, X-Men First Class, X-Men Apocalypse, X-Men whatever the second one, Days of Future Past, both of those were good. Apocalypse I wasn't a fan of, you know, but they've done a pretty fair job with the X-Men movies, Okay uh, Fantastic Four, however, has just been just this horrible thing. They've 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 killed my lovely four. Um, I, the first one came out in 2005 and it was all right. Uh, then they came out with Rise of the Silver Surfer and it was just okay. But then they came out with the one 2015 and this is where this 10 year rule comes in because they had to do something with the characters. So they made they they made a movie in 2015 called Fantastic Four. Anybody who knows me knows how I feel about this movie. Let me just without being Without being awful, I'm just going to say I don't like this movie. I don't think it was a very good movie, and I think it did a very poor job of telling the X-Men story. So let me just say that right off the bat. I I don't like it. I don't like it at all. (laughs) So so if Disney can get a hold of these characters, they can insert the Fantastic Four and even the X-Men into some of the Avengers storylines, into some of the Marvel storylines. It would be phenomenal. Watching what they did, from what Sony had with Spider-Man to turning Spider-Man into what he is now in the Avenger movies, the Captain America movie, uh, you know, Spider-Man: Homecoming, gives me such hope that they might be able to do something like that with, um, with, uh, uh, with, with the Fantastic Four. Um, you know, Disney Marvel can't even say the word mutant. It's not even allowed because that's 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 a 21st century Fox property. So they can't even say mutant. So they, Disney Marvel says, you know, Inhumans. So when the Avengers, the Avengers and Captain America and Iron Man, they're all talking about the Inhumans, and you see the TV show The Inhumans or whatever. That's that's them. They can't say the word mutant. And I will tell you that even though Hugh Jackman has said, yes, well, I'm going to hang my hang my uh, uh, my claws up. I'm not going to play a Wolverine again. I'm pretty sure if they called him up and said, hey man. We want you to come over here and be in the new Captain America movie uh, with with Chris Evans to be Captain America. Can you play Wolverine? I'm pretty doggone sure he'd say, "Absolutely, I'm in, I'm there, let's do it." Um, how great would that be? How would fantastic would that be? Now, again, this is a deal that's it's kind of stalled. I don't know if it's going to happen or not. It's a big, but it's a big deal if it happens. So, um, I. I would love it. I would love it. So keep a watch out for that in the news. Just kind of keep up, and you know if it happens, I will let you know about it because I'll be all over that. And okay, so if you're not a geek, you want to come back to the to the fray now and come back to the fold, you can uh, you can now listen in and not worry about me uh, rambling on and on about comic book stuff. So real quick, this is kind of a kind of uh, this, it's kind of a slow Disney news week. There's not a whole lot a ton of Disney news other than me spending ten minutes on Captain America and Wolverine. Um, I did want to kind of tell my story. I thought it would be kind of fun to share my personal disney story with you guys uh to kind of tell you where my love from disney comes from and a lot of people ask me how did you get started being a travel agent how did you get start how did you get started doing travel business stuff and i do it full time magic on a dollar is where you can find me it's magiconadollar.com. magic on a magic on a dollar is my website also magic on a dollar at gmail.com is my travel email magic on a dollar podcast is the podcast email so if you have questions you can always jump in and email me about podcasts i'd love to hear from you um Hence the name of the podcast. So, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to share my little story here. And, you know, we're already running close to 30 minutes here, but whatever, we'll keep going. So, um, I was uh, I was born a poor black child. Uh, hashtag the jerk, hashtag Steve Martin. Now, I, I first visited Walt Disney World in 1982, and I was living with my grandparents. And, uh, we lived in Austin, Texas, and every, every summer or so, we went down to Florida to spend two weeks, and that's where, that's where my grandmother's family was from, that's where a lot of my family was from, uh, Orlando, Winter Garden, Apopka, Ocoee, that whole area, uh, Sorrento, I think is around there somewhere, um, I actually was born in Orlando, I spent my first couple of years there before I lived with my grandparents, uh, when I was three or four years old, I went to live with them in Texas, um, but we went to... We decided we would go to uh, to Walt well, Disney World. And when I say we, I mean they. My grandmother, my aunt, and my cousin April, who I, I kind of grew up with. She was a year younger than I am. And, um, so we went to Circus World, first of all. Circus World was a place in, in Orlando, which was kind of a small theme park. It is no longer there. And the next day we went to the Magic Kingdom because in 1982 there was no Epcot. There was no Animal Kingdom. There was no Hollywood Studios. There was none of that. There was only the Magic Kingdom. So that's where I went. Um... And I remember seeing Epcot being built. It wasn't open until 82. It was open in November, so this was the summer. So I remember seeing the the dome being half-built, the big silver ball called Spaceship Earth, and I remember seeing it being half-built. I'm thinking, my 7-year-old mind, thinking to myself, that is really cool. There's a theme park inside that ball because in my mind the whole park was inside that spaceship earth. It was inside that little ball. You walk in that ball and there's going to be roller coasters and rides and all kinds of cool things and I, and I couldn't really work it out in my mind of how everything would fit in there but I thought that was Epcot. That's going to be awesome it's inside that ball, right? Of course we know that's not the truth now, duh, but at seven years old it was pretty cool for me. Um, I don't remember a lot about that seven year uh, that seven year old trip. I don't remember the rides we took and things like that but I do remember two specific memories. One, is that I went on the Haunted Mansion at 7. And you got to know, at 7, I was a very scared child. I wasn't scared of a lot of things, but I was scared of the dark. I mean, I'm 42 now, so even now, I don't like pitch-black surroundings if I'm unfamiliar with them. You put me in the woods somewhere in the middle of the night, I'm just like, oh, crap, what's going on? Uh, Because I don't like it very much. Um, Things go bump in the night. You know, I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of bugs. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm not afraid of widths. I'm not afraid of whatever. Uh, I just don't really like the dark that much and so and I'm afraid to admit it I'm a man I'll admit it but Haunted Mansion for me at 7 years old was the worst thing in the world to put me on because apparently somewhere in that in that time frame and I, I thought about this, this this morning I had seen a TV show of some sort and in that TV show and don't ask me why I watched this at 7 years old this did not help my, my afraid of the dark thing um I saw I had seen a TV show about a woman who was haunted by a ghost. This was like a like a documentary or something. Haunted by a ghost in Connecticut, I think, and she decided to move to California to get away from it and the ghost followed her. So in my mind, if you have a ghost in your house, it's going to follow you wherever you go. Of course, I'm freaked out completely. So I go into a haunted mansion. And of course it just scares the, be- the Jesus out of me. I am just so scared of everything, you know, and I'm in the haunted mansion, the graveyard scene, there's ghosts flying everywhere, and of course, of course the narration doesn't help, because the ghosts will follow you home, <laughs> and I'm like, oh crap, this ghost is going to follow me home, and it was just, it was awful. Um, I cried the whole time. My little cousin April uh, was with her mom, uh, my aunt, and just had her head buried, and just kind of say a word, and of course, when I got off, and here I am, the little boy, my grandmother and my aunt were quick to tell me, the girl, she didn't mind it at all, and you're the boy, and blah, 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 just, it, Whatever. So, Also, I refused to go on Pirates of the Caribbean because I had just gone on the Honda Mansion. And I'm like, I'm not going on Pirates. Nope. No, thank you. So I didn't. Um, I didn't go on the Pirates of the Caribbean for another 12, 13 years. We'll get to that. Um, so so that was my first experience. And I didn't grow up in a Disney family. I just did not. I mean, it's not that my family didn't like Disney. They liked the cartoons and stuff. I just I didn't grow up in the 80s in a Disney family. We didn't have a lot of things. We didn't own a VCR. Uh, my family didn't own a VCR Pretty much ever, um, I got my own VCR when I was twelve or thirteen, like in nineteen eighty-eight or something. Um, but I was at the mercy of you know videotapes, which cost twenty and twenty-five dollars back then, and HBO and Showtime and things like that. And they didn't show a lot of Disney movies because the Disney Channel was actually a subscription service up until mid-80s. And so you didn't see a lot of Disney movies. So I did not grow up into a Disney family, unlike a lot of people I know, including my wife, who is in the Disney family. She loves Disney. Uh, her mom, her sister, or her, her niece, they're all Disney nuts. Um, and so I married into a Disney family, which worked for me perfectly, but I did not grow up into that. And I've kind of noticed something as a, as a travel agent. I've been doing this a couple of years. As a travel agent, I've noticed something that I've worked, when I'm working with families, a lot of, of course, you know, the small children, six, seven, five, four, three, those kids, they love Disney. But when the kids get older, nine, 10, 11, what I hear from parents a lot of times is, well, you know, my, my son is just kind of growing out of Disney. He's getting too old for that. Or my daughter just is kind of growing out of the whole thing and she's just getting too old, which breaks my heart because you, you either like it or you don't, you don't really grow out of Disney. There are things for, at every park, There are things for six-year-olds, sixteen-year-olds, twenty-six-year-olds, fifty-six-year-olds, and ninety-six-year-olds, and on up. I mean, there's things for everybody. You just have to have the mindset of I'm going to enjoy myself rather than just I'm too cool for this. And and it wasn't really that that wasn't really my mentality in the late '80s, early '90s, as I became a teenager. That was more of just I didn't I didn't have access to Disney stuff, so I didn't really grow up with it. Get to college, however, Disney suddenly becomes popular again. Uh, I didn't see any, really any Disney movies in when I was in high school. I remember Rocky IV came out in like 84, 85, something like that, and uh, I wanted to go see it, and my aunt was going to take me to it, but she didn't. She decided to take me to Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, so I saw that instead. It was the re-release of it, so I saw that instead of Rocky IV, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, going to college, however, I did get into the Disney thing again. Uh, Aladdin had just come out the year before, so the videotape was coming out on VHS, the big clamshell. And so I gave my friend Bradley $20. He went to Walmart. He bought himself a copy. Bought me a copy we had aladdin viewing parties all these college students coming over and of course college girls coming over to the apartment to watch to the dorm room to watch aladdin it was and it was all in good fun so don't don't take that that comment for anything else other than just it was we were having a good time uh you know bunch of friends watching aladdin together i even went out and bought aladdin sheets and i'm actually i actually still have those aladdin sheets i can't use them they're twin size but i have aladdin pillowcase and aladdin sheets that i that i used for years and so Disney was cool again. For me, it was it was, it was cool again. And maybe it was a discovery of Disney. I went to Disney again in 1995 uh, with uh, uh, with some friends of mine. We went down to Orlando for the day. Uh, well, for the weekend, but we went to Magic Kingdom for the day. Only went to Magic Kingdom. The Hollywood Studios had opened up a couple of years before that. Uh, Animal Kingdom was still years off. Epcot was open, of course, then. But I did not go to those, just to the Magic Kingdom. Uh, I actually had procured a ticket, an old ticket. Uh, that was like eight inches tall, like four inches wide. It was a cardboard paper ticket. Uh, they somebody had, from work had given out to their, their constituents and they had passed it on to me and given it to me. And, um, I used that to get it. It was a one day ticket. A couple of years later, maybe 96, 97, I went with some more friends of mine, another group of friends. We went down to Walt Disney World, again, to the Magic Kingdom. This was riding the Sky Buckets, and so, so I guess 97-ish, before the Sky Buckets closed. And, uh, had a good time at everything, but I had not really gone to any of the, any of the parks. Um, about 90, oh, 95, 96, something like that, I went to the Montgomery Mall. And I went to college in Troy, Alabama, which is, uh, which is an hour north of my hometown of Sampson, Alabama, which is... 10 minutes north of the Florida line. Very bottom of the Alabama state. So you go up the, go up the highway, through Samson, through, and get to Troy. Troy went to college, and 40 minutes north of that is Montgomery, which is the state, line, or the state capital. And I walked through Montgomery Mall, and I was zipping through the mall or whatever, and I saw my very first Disney store. I had never seen a Disney store before. I had heard they existed, but I'd never gone in there. So I thought to myself, well, what if I worked there? That would be kind of cool. So I went in, filled an application out, got hired on the spot. Now, mind you, this is uh, this is poor college, broke ki- broken college kid driving a broke down car, uh, having to drive to work forty miles. I work once or twice a week. Um, I got some free tickets, which was nice, and that's actually how I went a couple of years later. Uh, got some cool pins, got some cool merchandise, but I really kind of got became ingrained in this whole culture of Disney because there were people there that. There were people there then that are like I am now, that are rock solid Disney, Disney, Disney. And that's where they were. They were awesome. So I learned a lot from them. I learned about Disney history. I was reading books and I was looking at merchandise and I was kind of looking at historical stuff. It's just how cool everything was. And I was like, well, I have to get to Disney. This is going to be cool, right? It's going to be great. So And eventually I would go. And so I worked there about a year and a half and learned a lot of stuff. Eventually I had to leave the job. It just it was too hard making that travel um i'll I'll confess to you that I showed up late for work like three times in a row, and they kind of told me I didn't they didn't really need me anymore because of that um I was twenty one at the time, maybe twenty two and very irresponsible because most twenty two year olds are so you know it happens and it's fine but uh so I left that job obviously and was like, okay, well, there you go, that's Disney stuff and so uh, met my wife in two thousand we got married two thousand four went on Disney on our honeymoon. And of course she had already been to Disney. I didn't tell her where we were going. I went to a travel agent in a brick and mortar building, went to a travel agent, sat down and was like, I need to plan a trip to Disney and we went we stayed at the Caribbean Beach Resort. Um, it's funny because we got married on a Saturday like two p.m. We had the reception that evening, we drove to Atlanta that, that night, we flew into Orlando, we got there, got to our rooms like nine o'clock, eight the next morning we're in a theme park, so we're exhausted my first ever, my first ever dining experience at Walt Disney World aside from just walk-up counter service burgers or whatever my first dining experience ever was Cinderella's Royal Table at a little table by the window with a little confetti sprinkled all over it because we were honeymooners that was our first meal together as a married couple that was our first save for the the fast food Wendy's that we had all the way to Atlanta uh, because we were starving um But that was our first real meal as a couple. That was our first character, my first character experience, my first dining experience. It was really, really cool. It's a great memory. And, of course, pictures will show that we were extremely exhausted um, because of, you know, the whole week, the whole marriage. Anybody getting married knows that whole week is just exhausting. That's how it was. We had a great time. Uh, but I had planned this trip. You know, of course, when I went and sat down in front of the travel agent, I just told the, the agent, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know anything. Can you help me? And they walk me through a lot of stuff. And I kind of get this that sense now when I'm helping people plan their trips. A lot of people will email me and they'll tell me, we don't know what we're doing. Can you help us? And they will ask questions that I have to remind myself that I know a lot about Disney because I've been so ingrained in the culture for so long. There are people that don't know anything about Disney. So questions to me don't come. The questions aren't stupid to me. They don't come to me as as you know um i don't look at a question and be like well that's a dumb question of course you can't do that uh or of course you could do that i don't look at that i look at that, that a lot of people don't know anything about disney and that's how i try to approach it when i do travel, travel planning so you know for the first time in that honeymoon trip i got to go to animal kingdom and i got to go to hollywood studios i got to go to epcot I've never been to any of these parks it was so cool right it was so awesome spent three days four days there then we went on a cruise for three days which was great uh it wasn't until 2007 when I finally spent a full like eight day trip vacation, full fledged trip, uh, we again stayed at uh, was it Caribbean Beach? Maybe we stayed at. I don't really I don't remember where we stayed, but we stayed um, we stayed for for a full family vacation. It was my wife's family, her mom and dad, sister and brother, and all of us all of us went together in two thousand seven for a, for a Thanksgiving trip, and it was it was fantastic. And I thought to myself at that trip, you know. This is something I really like doing. I really like being around this, and and around that time, our friends from church and other people had already called up, called us up several times and said, "Hey, you go, to, you guys go to Disney. Some can you tell us a little bit about Disney and how do we plan our trip?" And for the next year, year and a half, that's that's what I did. Um, I was walking through the mall here in Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I'm located, and I saw the Disney store was there. I'd been there many times, but. I decided, you know what? I need, I need a second time, part-time job. I, I was working at Starbucks at the time. I'd been there for many, many years and was uh, doing managing stuff. And I thought, well, it would be good to kind of get a second job to earn money for Christmas or whatever. So I walked into the Disney store, met the manager, and talked to them for a few minutes. And lo and behold, three days later, I got offered the assistant manager position at the Disney store. Now, I was going in for a part-time job. I was offered a full-time career. And after a week of kind of praying about it, thinking about it, talking to people, getting wise counsel, I took it. I did. I took the job. And I said, you know what? I want this job. And so I left my job at Starbucks, went down to part time at Starbucks, actually, um, went to the Disney store and worked. And that is where I truly that little that little ember that had been lit maybe in 2004, maybe even at the Disney store in the, in the 90s, they had kind of been burning there a little bit threw gasoline on it. I fell in love with Disney completely then because I was older. I was able to more, to really kind of comprehend more and put more time and resources into it, just studying. I was the movie guy. I was the one that people would come to and say, hey, you know, is so-and-so available? And somebody, one of the cast members at the store would say, hey, David, is um, you know, is Jungle Book available? And I would spout up, nope, it actually was last available in 2005. It we went into the moratorium, into the vault, won't be available again, probably until 2013. I mean, those are the kind of things I would do. I was reading books about Disney. I was reading books about Walt Disney. I read his biography once, and I kind of went through it, and, you know, and with that, we was able to go to the park more because, so, you know, we as a manager, I was able to get a, kind of a pass I could go to the park more and more and, um, to get in and get discounts on hotels and stuff, and so, you know, because I was a CAPS member. Um so we went to the parks three or four times through 2008 or went to the parks five times 2009 like three times we went to the parks multiple multiple times um i went down there over and over and over and i was learning and picking up so much information and just loving it loving the company loving what it was loving the history behind the company you know that's why i love disney so much because there's so much history there so much history there um and it's just fantastic. It's just it's 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 wonderful. It's great, right? It's just it's great. I uh, went to Disneyland for the first time in 2011, and you walk down those streets and you think to yourself, "Walt Disney walked here. This is where Walt Disney walked. This is where he was. He was in this park. It's so cool." So, fell in love with Disney. People were actually calling, you know, still calling me over and over, help help plan our trip. In 2010, a friend of ours, uh, a family friend of ours from church, um, called us up and said, "Hey, we want to take you to lunch if you will tell us how to plan our trip." And so we went to lunch, we kind of answered all the questions, you know, Park Hopper's this, and Fast Pass and that, and this is back when they had the paper Fast Passes. Um, you know, these restaurants and that resort, and so on and so on. And so I told, I told her, her name was Hillary, and I said, Hillary, let me, do you, let me do something for you. I will sit down and I will write out a tip sheet. I'm thinking I'll probably give you two or three pages of tips, right? What I ended up writing was 45 pages of information, park by park, stuff by stuff, because there was so much I wanted them to know, so much I wanted to know. About this time, the Disney store closed, April of 2010, it closed down. And it broke my heart. It was a job that I loved so much. I loved it. All things work. Uh, all things work for his good, which is fine. Um, you know, because it all worked out in the end, as you'll see. But it really broke my heart. I, I grieved over that job for close, probably close to a year. I really did love that job so much. And I left that job, of course, because it closed down. And about a year later, two years later, somebody called me up from another Disney store in Atlanta. It's a friend of mine from college and said, hey, um, Are you interested in doing Disney travel? And, okay, what do you mean? And she said, well, she said, I, I work for a travel agency now. I worked at the Disney store before. And now I'm at a travel agency. Uh, I want to know if you'd like to help me. I'd love to help you bring you on board. And I said, absolutely. That'd be fun. Not knowing anything about the travel business whatsoever. None. Not a single thing about it. So I said, you know what? That's fun. Let's do it. And so I kind of helped her out a little bit, learned a little bit here and there. And uh, probably 2013, I joined the travel agency. And, and she actually called me up and said, hey, I'm starting a new travel agency. I'm starting one, whereas we were a part of one before. She's like, I'm now starting one now officially. Um, would you like to be one of the members of my travel agency? Absolutely. So I'm one of, one of four people in the travel agency, which eventually grew to like 40 agents overall a couple of years later um, there were some disagreements we had I won't go into any of that I will just say I had some disagreements with, with some things um, and I left that travel agency went to a friend of mine we started another travel agency and Paradise Falls Travel Co which is where I work now actually uh, Kirsten Smith is the owner and operator of the Paradise Paradise Falls Travel Company and, and so I'll say this if you love Disney stuff I love to talk to you I want to talk to you about your Disney travels universal travels but if you're thinking you know what maybe, maybe Disney is next year I'd like to go to Jamaica I'd like to go to the Mediterranean I'd like to go on a princess cruise or a Viking cruise or something call me up And I will put you in touch with Kirsten and some of our great, great agents at Paradise Falls Travel Co. Uh, I would love to help you, send you over there, because they will take care of you. I'll do your Disney stuff. I'll be happy to. But they can take care of the rest of the world. I'll take care of the world, and they'll take care of the rest of the world. That makes any sense. Anyway, so that's kind of how how it happened. 2015... In July of 2015, um, I announced to a group that I was speaking in front of, a, group, uh, that I, a Facebook group that I had online um, that I was a part of, I announced to them that I was going full-time. Uh, my wife and I, uh, I had left Starbucks already, and I worked for another company. And about t- December 2014, my wife and I decided, you know what? The Disney business is getting so insane, we're doing so much business, Disney stuff, that we kind of have to choose one. Either work your job, your daytime job, or do Disney travel we have to pick one I picked Disney Travel of course but it's full commission it is I don't get paid anything other than commission and so we had to make that decision we prepared for it for seven months in August of 2015 um, I left my job I did I made that announcement in July to this group that I spoke to a couple weeks later I turned my notice in a couple weeks after that I left my job Walked out of the building and was like, "Okay, I'm leaving a very comfortable salary right now to go full time Disney." And I did. It was very tough. Uh, not a lot of money came in the first few months, but it started rolling from there. And since then, I have been doing travel now for I've got maybe going on four years now. And I have helped. I think I last count something like 340 something families go to Disney World. Um, thousands and thousands of fast passes. Uh, I would probably say hundreds maybe a thousand dinner reservations um you know dining reservations i've gotten up hundreds of times early in the morning and that's what i love doing i love doing what i do i love helping families do what i do and you know some of my favorite stories from disney travel i gotta tell you these two stories real quick and i were running out of time here but some of my favorite stories i had a a woman who contacted me and she was on vacation or she was she had just gotten divorced a couple years ago and she was having a lot of trouble with her with that um and she and her children had not been on vacation together in a long time And she basically called me up and was like, I want to go on a trip next week. Can you help me with this? And I'm like, absolutely. In the next couple of hours, we planned her trip uh, that she left like seven days later or five days later or whatever it was. She left for a week. Her and her kids got to get away on a vacation for the first time in forever, uh, which was really heartwarming. I was actually at Disney World once when I got a phone call from somebody that said, you know, I want to go to Disney. I want to take my sister to Disney. She's disabled. And she's disabled to a point where she requires a lot of constant care. I want to take her with me to Disney World, not only to give her a vacation, but also to give my parents some time off as well. And so, which it just... it. It broke my heart to hear about the uh, hear about the young lady w- w- who's disabled. But it was awesome that I got to go. I get to help that family. You know, she had, had she had recovered from cancer, but it left her with a disability. And just I got to help them do stuff. And this is what, this is why I do what I do. A lot of times it is just, oh, you want to go to Space Mountain? Nope. You want to go do this? Oh, you want to go and eat at Cinderella's Royal Table? Okay, let me help you. But sometimes it is just, you know, hey Dave, we don't know what we're doing. We need help. We need this family trip. We need this family away. Another family over Christmas of last year they had a tough year um, with a lot of things going on in their lives and she emailed me back and she's like you don't know what this trip meant to us to get away to be able to get away for five days to leave the world behind me and the family and not have to worry about anybody else she's like it was life changing and that's why I do what I do. I really love what I do. I lo- and I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I've made some mistakes before. Um, thankfully, I've been able to rectify and correct all of them. Which I've had people that I've made mistakes with have come back to me, which has been awesome. But I love what I do. I love my job. I love doing this podcast. I love talking about Disney. So that is my Disney story. That is my Disney story. Going early as a seven year old, being scared of Haunted Mansion, to going in college and loving, falling in love with Disney, to falling in love with Disney again at the Disney Store, to my honeymoon trip, 2007 trip, working at the Disney Store as a manager sparking that fire turning into a real fire travel agency and then the next travel agency that I'm part of now uh, Magic in a Dollar is my branding and that's the company I I am Magic on a Dollar as travel planning I'd love to help you I would love to help you plan your stuff Um, so you can contact me let me give you my, my my information here you can find me on Twitter at Disney on a dollar. Um, you can find me on Facebook at Disney on a dollar as well. You can find me in both of those places. Disney on a dollar on Facebook is kind of our kind of our business page. A lot of I put a lot of links up and I put a lot of news up and things like that. A lot of things to share. Uh, if you want to be part of the fan community, Magic on a dollar at Facebook, go there and and ask to join. I will I will accept you. I'll bring you in. I'm not going to shun you. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Magical on a dollar as well. And of course, this podcast here opens up. It comes out every Sunday night for your Monday listening enjoyment. Guys, share the podcast. I would love for you to share the podcast. I want this podcast to grow. I want it to be something cool. I want it to do be something better. Uh got feedback for me. Magic on a dollar podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit myresumelady.com. She'll be the one to take care of your, all your resume needs. Don't forget to visit... Um, Meshmedia.co. Talk to Tim and he'll be able to take care of your emotive storytelling, your video production, and of course the Remodeling Clay Shaver podcast, which comes out every Thursday morning uh, to help you be the best best version of you. And that's it. We're going to get out of here now. We've spent 45 minutes talking about Marvel and And myself, which is two of my favorite subjects, right? Uh, so that is the Magic of the Dollar Podcast again. Thank you so much. Share the show. Go to iTunes, subscribe, um, you know, hashtag modpod when you tweet about it. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear from you. And thanks again for downloading. Don't forget to thank a Phoenician.